Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AW Dynamite, but also AW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture, as I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. Thought the power was back, Sidge. It is, a th- it is a third of the time. Enjoy carrying cross on SmackDown, mate. It's going to be a complete and utter... You don't mean that word, mate. I was uh, livid, <laughs> fascinated, and bored <laughs> throughout this episode. It was absolutely all out of the shop. Yeah. I could not have hated that ending more. It might, in fact, be my least favorite match finish in the history of All Elite Wrestling. Wow. Which we'll get onto when we get to it. Um, but I was just absolutely all over the place, this. There was some great stuff the on the show. show. I was winding you up. There's some great stuff. And ultimately, the best part of the show is that there were great directions, great teasers, great promises for what awaits. But my God, what a sour taste was left in my mouth. Yeah, stuff happened, and yet simultaneously felt like it wasn't. There was a couple of significant moments. One in particular, we'll get to when we get to it, that I would consider theoretically one of the biggest moments in AEW history, and it didn't play out like that at all. Like, not at all. Mm. Um, I Title changes uh, of, of many different kinds. Title changes. Mm. So, like, it was eventful. And it just didn't feel like it was eventful. It felt like felt functional. It felt drab. Felt small. Did feel small. Like they're not really addressing that. I don't think. Um, it's. I was. I was really disappointed because we said yesterday on the like Sid has identified before that this is a bit of a pattern with these post pay per view dynamites for whatever reason. But I think it's most egregious now because all of us collectively agree that going into revolution you couldn't just be like. Well, the pay-per-view was awesome, so everyone was stupid for saying AEW had gone off the rails. I think it is off the rails because Revolution is suddenly the outlier mm. of these like weeks of pretty moribund television. Yeah, and we always say, as much as we bemoan this, A, always have to reiterate, we do hold AEW obviously to a higher standard um, because they, we know they're capable of achieving that. I think that's the thing. So much Rayleigh write a book about the origins of, of AEW, if anything. I, I actually have. Have you? Yeah, yeah. 
But the really? uh, uh, the thing is, I mm. like my books to be like a t- like a a double double t- threat. Really, I want it to be passionate. double whammy. <laughs> Sounds like you need to read a few more of them. Books. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be passionate. Or just one. <laughs> I want them to be passionate, but also insightful. Well. Oh, and I needed those words to be over 100,000. Well, this one has actually got 120,000 passionate and insightful words all about the formation and indeed rise of AEW. And it's called Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. Why do you keep interjecting when I'm doing my reads? Because, right, I'm so excited to read this, but I despise leaving my house, especially in this terrible weather. So how am I going to get a copy, Sidgwick? Answer me that, smart guy. Well, wait until the read's finished. I'm too excited. I'm too excited. Get on Amazon. I hadn't finished. Dynamite left me so dead inside that I need to remember why I like this show and I just want to read about it, but I can't because I can't leave the house. (laughs) I haven't sold it to the public yet. They will will deliver it to your door on Amazon. What? Yes. Um, What else was I going to say? Talk too much. Oh, yeah. We've said constantly, whenever we bemoan, whenever we bemoan AEW, Great wrestling on this show. Like we're not saying, oh, this yeah, is one great match. Yeah, the opener was really good. The opener was really, really good. Wish the crowd was with it more. Well, let's dive straight into it because uh, the show opens. It's International Women's Day. You know what that means? Jesus Christ. Why did they bother? You thick bastards. You stupid bastards. Like, I heard that and thought, well, Ruby Soho's music. Yeah. There. They're opening with the women and maybe there'll be a second match. Maybe there'll be a pretty significant angle with this NWO adjacent thing. No, it's just dynamite. It was just the same problematic dynamite as it is every week. I can't believe they did it. The tweet got them in enough bother. <laughs> a minimum of two members of the roster weren't in it, weren't in the picture. There was loads of like the killing and the cuties. Like, maybe I have more than one match to celebrate then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tweet, ignore. Tweet, meet replies. <laughs> um, but it wasn't the women to, to start. It was the All-Atlantic Championship match between Orange Cassidy and Jay Lethal. Was it deliberate or accidental or just, yeah, just a lucky coincidence that the firework was just like, for Orange Cassidy? I think that's a deliberate I choice. Say, it was it's a like bit, a lazy firework. It worked brilliantly, yeah. I don't know whether that's happened before. Not, it's the first time I've noticed it, but I was like, well, if it's going to happen for anyone, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, Lethal comes out with the, all of his gang, but they're prevented from being at their ringside, uh, and they get straight into it. They've obviously got a great history, these two together. Lots of counters to start us off. Um, cast the early on targets, the arm, punts Lethal's arm when he goes for a lethal combination. This would obviously factor in later on, just as um, Jay Lethal posting uh, Cassidy's knee when they were fighting on the outside. They were chucking each other into the steps and stuff. Um, but yeah, um, the Fargo strut. Uh, into Casty getting his knee posted, took us to a break. Uh, when we come back, Lethal blocks the Stundog Millionaire and the Satellite DDT, um, but Casty does manage to hit the Brain Buster and the Diving DDT out of the corner, and a second attempt, uh, at it gets the Satellite DDT for a two-count. But as he goes to the Orange Punch, the leg, which has been targeted by Jay Lethal, buckles. That allows Lethal to put him in a figure four, Um he uh, gets out of it, but again, lethal targets the leg, hits the lethal combination, goes up top, misses and top rope elbow, counters an orange punch into a cutter for a great two count. Um, a thrust kick uh, to the knee of Casty meant lethal was set up for a lethal injection, but the injured arm gives out as he goes for it, and Casty capitalizes and nails him with an orange punch to retain the title. Post-match, Jay Lethal tries to attack Casty with the Golden Globe, uh, but gets prevented from doing that and walked off by the referee. When who should slide in? But Jeff Jarrett, he hit not only hits the stroke on Cassidy, but he hits a guitar shot 
onto his injured leg. The uh, best friends made the save, uh, and Jarrett bails out of there. The power never went away. <laughs> At least when it comes to stuff like this, the amount of thought that goes into a television match on AEW Dynamite absolutely embarrasses what happens in WWE, your guys' thing. <laughs> it's just a joke. The The contrast is just absolutely, uh, like, staggering. Mm. And just WWE should take a long, hard blue look at themselves because it can create... This was a pretty tepid audience that only were up for certain things. I don't know if they just saw the card on paper. I don't know if it was just not the best, hottest market. But they really, really got into this at the end, which is a credit to the amount of thought that went into it. I thought this was so well done, Mm. so well thought out, and ultimately so well executed after, I must say, a few wavelength issues in the first two or three minutes when they got focused on the same wavelength, like, like professional wrestling magic was created, there is a bit of a contrivance to get past in that. Why is it suddenly not okay for them to come out when they've been kind of doing it every single week? I will say that the idea that they were just told not to appear alongside Cassidy, um, even if it didn't, even if it was selective in its logic, the fact that you kind of thought, well, they're going to come into this eventually, that compounded Orange Cassidy's genuinely expert selling performance here to really get me anxious about a title change. I just thought, right, he looks finished in there. He's selling the hell out of that leg. It's buckling. Wouldn't it just be typical if Sanjay Dutt comes through the crowd, grabs at his leg from underneath the bottom rope when he's trying to do the orange punch, the referee distracted or whatever. I just thought that was such a great, like, threat of a tease at the start. And the commentators, for me, putting over how many times he's defended this title recently. What was it, like 14 mm. singles match wins in a row or something? Yeah. And I was like, well, because my brain in wrestling goes, well, because they're saying that, that's because they want you to remember that number when it comes to an end. Yeah, absolutely. They genuinely did such a great job of generating the, the feeling, the creeping feeling that it was the end. The commentary did it. The way that the match was structured did it. Orange Cassidy's individual selling performance, which was brilliant, did it. Um, like it played off the fact that they'd had two previous encounters so well as well because they were doing like those ridiculous chess moves where they could understand or grasp or like sort of ascertain when the next move was coming so they were countering the counters mm. and it was just this beautifully liquid pro wrestling match that the fans really got into towards the end and the subversion of that finish was just absolutely majestic, and I think Hamlet wanted to talk about that. Well, it was stunning. Like I, th- This isn't going to sound like much of a compliment, but we watch a lot of wrestling in a week, and then we watch even more across the course of a year. I feel like I'll remember this match. Yeah. like Because you don't do There's plenty that just pass you by, and they're good enough, and then they're gone. I feel like I'll remember this because I was so impressed with the work here. It just, to me, just showed this like immense level of patience and confidence in their own ability to know that where they were going was going to bring the people in. I want to see Cassidy versus Danielson, you know. Yeah, like I, there's, there's like I maintain that this Orange Cassidy run has highlighted that he's having the kind of he's having what I wanted more for the TNT title along, and just we don't get that anymore. But it's okay because we're getting it with Orange Cassidy. This finish, like Orange Cassidy's whole shtick, 
which at this point is like really well known, but no less entertaining, is that he hides how clever he is in plain sight behind the soft kicks or the hands in the pockets or whatever. Like that's his attacking strategy. Here, he hid his defensive strategy because he knows how to wrestle Jay Lethal. He had the bad leg and he had to worry about that. But at the same time, he was just gradually working away on the arm and shoulder of Lethal. And when he sprung the trap and Lethal forgot himself and goes for the Lethal Injection, who's right there with the orange punch? It's Orange Cassidy because he saved it for that one exact moment. He knew that that... And what a sell by Lethal, I've got to say. The way he crumpled yeah. off that handspring was just fantastic because they they timed it in such a way that they'd like they'd had so many of those figure four teases that they allowed you to forget about it at just the right time. And the fact that it was a figure four and then to build into Jeff Jarrett hitting him with a guitar, like they've sold me on Orange Cassidy passing out in Jeff Jarrett's figure four next week to change the title. All of that doomsday commentary and that gut feeling of, oh God, it's Cassidy's time was actually potentially for next week <laughs> and a title match that suddenly, to be fair to an announcement that has been divisive, a title match that I think makes way more sense in context than it would have done without if it was still the All-Atlantic. I do want to pick up a point because I don't want to be considered a hypocrite for a take I've got later on. So it's probably worth just keeping a running counter on this Dynamite. I've whinged a bit about the rankings lately because I don't like that AW's imagined framework has completely dissolved. Everything that underpinned all of this is mm. gone and it's been replaced by belts more than stories and things like that. Eliminators. Yeah, I'm not going to be biased. Jeff Jarrett's my favourite, but I'm not going to be biased. Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett had a tag team match. Tag team title match, despite having lost a load of tag team title matches, they were entered into a battle royal and won another one. Then they lost a the tag team title match and Jay Lethal, out of nothing, other than... Not quite nothing. Not quite nothing. Jarrett's it, nothing, this wasn't. A, decide, a decider of a series, I guess. But he has just been defeated, and there's plenty of other people on the roster that could have had an All-Atlantic shot. Jay Lethal gets a shot, loses, uh, lost on the pay-per-view. Jarrett, lost on the pay-per-view, gets a shot out of thin air. The pattern throughout this show was, like, became apparent and, in my opinion, like problematic as to why, again, this didn't feel like a post pay-per-view show the losers got substantially more time than the winners one of our matches we did the revolution review yesterday and one of the matches we were still most high on even by the wednesday was jungle boy christian where was where was jungle boy like these are the things that people rightfully expect and i think that's a problem that aw is not fixing uh, Renee Paquette is backstage with Powerhouse Hobbs, who's competing in the main event for the TNT Championship, of course. He says, look, it's unfortunate what happened to Wardlow, having his car broken into, having all his stuff stolen, his TNT title stolen. But he's champion. That's the one thing he's got left. And tonight I'm taking that from him. I thought it was a short and sweet great promo here. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the best thing he did all night. Yeah. Other than the 90% of the actual yeah. match. One more thing, and I know I'm treading on the toes of the preview. All Cassidy and Jared have to do, realistically, for the bulk of their match next week is just put on a figure four and sell it. Yeah. Because the work has been done, mm -hmm. and it's all work in service of the fact that Jeff Jarrett isn't going to do a great singles match, but he can do an effective one. Great stuff. We were talking Flawed about, great stuff. We were talking about this over the desk. The most frustrating thing about AEW, I think now, at the moment, after we had this chat, is that Tony Khan hasn't lost the plot. He's just lost some of it. So when you can see the plot and when you can see the good in this company, it's more frustrating because there's too many comparisons of it not being at that level. Um, out comes Ricky Starks, fresh of his victory over Chris Jericho, of course, on Sunday. Uh, and he says, wow. Is um, <laughs> that like the Vine? It was the uh, Owen Wilson. I was going to say Owen Wilson, that wasn't wow. it? Wow. Yeah. I thought it was like the uh, Vine when that lass is at the party. Oh, yeah. And she thinks she's like the doing this cool vape pose. This guy's going, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that man was Jim Ross. 
<laughs> you would have thought he loved it. Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, I've had a great 10 days, spent time in Cali, uh, having a hell of a week, and I beat Chris Jericho, let's not forget. Uh, for weeks, he's taken down the JAS Jericho, done it all from television to pay-per-view. Uh, he gets asked what's next a lot, uh, but the answer is he's not sure. Um, it's not a question of what he'll do next, but where he'll go. And the lights go out, and suddenly Bullet Club's theme is on the big screen. Bullet Club music hits, and I mean, we all thought one thing, let's be perfectly honest here, but... He gets attacked from behind by Juice Robinson, hits him with the left hand of God and the DDT and stands over him. But I think it's fair to say when the lights go out and you see Bullet Club, you think of someone other than Juice Robinson. What were they thinking here? They should have realized, right, if we're going to do a program just to gently um, allow Starks to just simmer, just to be a player, beat some, have some tune-up matches in the background, which is fine, they need... These building blocks at times, I guess. Have Mikey Ruckus have five minutes to knock out something else for Juice Robinson because they, they created an expectation. And I'll tell you what, they were lucky they got the expectation of a pop from that graphic because Bullet Club at the minute feels like, imagine the original ECW, then imagine the WWE ECW one-night stands, then imagine WWE ECW, then imagine... Uh, Hardcore Homecoming. <laughs> then imagine um, ECW and TNA. And then you get to XPW, and that's what the Bullet Club <laughs> is from where it was. Because Jesus Christ, what a dead brand. I'm amazed it got a pop. It just, it felt as small and as insignificant and as cold as it ever has. And it's what? Nearly a decade mm-hmm. of Bullet Club at this point. I couldn't believe that because I, I I went oh it's cool Jay White. Well, the most over ever member of Bullet Club was in the opening segment smashing Darby Allen with uh, smashing thingy with a guitar Shut on Catholic. Up, so they'd already kind of blown their load there. I I've had some very polite and I want to pay compliments to those people. Polite disagreement with people on Twitter today about this segment because I use this as the example to make the point I've just made about Jarrett and Lethal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. I don't mean to denigrate Juice Robinson, but like Juice Robinson, as of evidence here, is Ricky Starks' prize for victory at Revolution. Chris Jericho gets a title shot in his hometown in what's a bit of a dream match on the probably the main event of next week's Dynamite. Juice the, Robinson maybe deserves a bit of cr- flack. Like he's been pretty. He's been rubbish. Let's let's be completely frank about this. In all elite wrestling so far, yes, he hasn't been promoted with yeah. a big star presentation, and he's been badly underserved to the point where you forget he's even in this promotion. When he's been in it, he is underwhelmed to a quite damning level. So, bit of column A and B for me, this. Yeah, that's that's fair. I suppose he did have the Moxley match, which had all that history, and it was John Moxley. So, you're in a position and where you can have ab- this. He, ha- he had... That's, and it was boring, wasn't it? I can't decide what's worse. Having a bad match, forgettable match with John Moxley in 2022 form, or having a boring match with Darby Allen. Because you can't, the, the, those two guys are dreams to work with. Darby Allen especially. I've said it a million times. If you have Darby Allen and you're going to TV and you say, oh, you got Darby Allen tonight, you're just rubbing your hands together. Mm. You could be like five foot nine <laughs> in a bit of a slim build and you look like a monster with the way he's willing to work. And you just, it's unforgivable. Uh, Juice Robinson, I've just, 
I don't know what you do with them. Well, I think this is, a, this is the point. It's all about presentation to me here. So, like, if I'm stacking up these two things as prizes and Jericho's come out of this defeat way better than Starks has come out of it as a victory, but then the argument that was given to me was, well, he's probably just going to beat Juice Robinson. I, I know this. Mm. I, d- I do know this. Just promote that. Just promote Ricky Starks versus Juice Robinson as a match on Dynamite or Rampage, wherever you want to do it. Don't promote Ricky Starks will speak. Lights off surprise. Like Four there is- years. Four years, and there are so many core problems that yeah. people have buried AEW for, and they just go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's completely... Sh- it's Shan, to use a Northeast expression. <laughs> it's unfair to, like, just send someone to their death, essentially, when you turn the lights on and it's and you turn them off and you turn them on and it's just, you know, it's not CM Punk or whatever. Like Juice Robinson, he's been in it before, twice. It's been pretty bad. What are they thinking? It's been four years of this as well. Well, and it's really like it's been five and it peaked with the first one because you basically, you set the standard with Chris Jericho from WWE dressed as Penta, ready to fight Kenny Omega yeah. all in. That was like as good as this thing ever got, and everything's been a level below ever since. And that's the point I was trying to make to these people who I had a nice disagreement with, was that it's not that I don't know that Ricky Starks is going to beat Juice Robinson. It's how you've presented this as a bad piece of television versus how you could have done it. You've made Juice Robinson feel less over. How yeah. has he managed that? <laughs> uh, Tony Schiavone's backstage with Wardlow, who's wearing an FTR T-shirt, because, of course, all of his stuff's been nicked. Made me feel even more sorry for him now. I don't know why. It was nice. FTR feel... They're the best. Like they're just nice guys. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, the level of thought that goes into this company still, as scatterbrained as it is, the Hamlet's right, it's the hope that kills you. So he challenges, he says, <laughs> he says, uh, uh, you know, he's asked where his head's at, he's like, well, a bit all over the place, to be honest, considering what's happened. And uh, yeah, you know what, bollocks to it. How about we make it a false count anywhere, anything goes, TNT title match. Not that it was really in doubt anyway, but off the back of these two promos, it was never, the result was never, ever in doubt. That Wardlow just wasn't going to go his way. But I was just really struck by the difference in charisma levels between Hobbs and Wardlow and these two promos back to back. The story was used. The real life story was used, although shoot, work shoot, or whatever the hell's happened with Wardlow's car. It was QT Marshall, I don't know. Um, Wardlow, I thought, had something as a result of this smashed in car. And he didn't. He still felt... Uh, I, don't know, I was going to call him mid, and then I feel bad because that's specifically an MJF thing, but he just does not feel like the Wardlow that we got this time last year. No, and uh, look, I'll say it, I don't mind. There's a lot of, and I, to be honest, I think Tony Khan deserves a lot of flack. He's, sole, he's ultimately, not solely, he's ultimately responsible for mm. everything you see on AEW television, okay? And I'm more than happy to criticize him for a lot of that accordingly. And I've done so already. I will do so the deeper we get into this podcast. Believe me, uh, Wardlow himself. It's not as if you've got this absolutely white-hot wrestler. He did. He was at one point. Who's just a guaranteed great segment promo match every single time. How could you botch him? He's not really impressed me all of the time as Wardlow. Mm. Since he's been given that... There's always a precedent to say, well, you know... Tony Khan could be at this point considered a master of cooling off people, which is a shame because he's cooled off a lot of people. Kingston and mm. all the rest of it. I do think in the specific isolated case of Wardlow that he has not really um, been the very best and he need to be the very best in this promotion every single time he's been out there. 
It's a shame because I love Wardlow and I love his potential. But if I'm going to be a fair and honest analyst, I can't say that he's really impressed me on this big stage every single time because he hasn't. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. You know, I compare him coming out with like Wardlow's world and stuff like that to the thing that you and I, with all of us, were purring about with just a single hand movement. Yeah. And the Cody whipping belt thing. He feels like a much smaller man physically and in terms of his presence. Go back and watch that. He looks like he's seven foot tall. And I don't even think you need to go back that far. This time last year, we were fantasy booking him, pulling the chains apart and coming out to War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Yeah. Because everything felt like the stars were aligning at just the right time. So it's, it's yeah, it's the, the booking is one thing. I think it's failed him a couple of different ways. It has. But then it's how does the wrestler like work around that as, as in like WWE, they have to all the time. And yeah. in WWE, ideally it happens never. Yeah. Like this was one of them times when it did and he couldn't quite wrestle around it. Love to know your thoughts on what came next. Renee Paquette's in the ring. She introduces Ruby Soho, who comes out with Tony Storm and Soraya, or the Outsiders, obviously. They go back. Freelancers. She... Uh, Terrible name. <laughs> she comes down to lots of booze, obviously, and basically tells Renee the fans have created this monster. She talks about wrestling Britt Baker in her first title match and how thrilled the fans were when she lost and beating Chris Statlander in the Owen Hart semi-finals uh, and then getting booed out of the building. Uh, and then she talks about getting to Revolution. The favourite, Jamie Hayter, pins her in the middle of the ring and she realised that no one was ever going to come to her defence or be mad when she lost. No one here in AEW would ever appreciate her. But then again, she's not the only one. Tony Storm came in, did great things, and all she got to be called was interim champion. Everyone begged Soraya to uh, come out of retirement, and she did. Uh, and then all the fat, neck-bearded, mouth-breathing trolls came at her. Um, they've been outcast since day one. They came here to rebuild, but you can't rebuild on broken foundations. You can only demolish and start new. Um, and the broken foundations and the entire little in the back, um, the rookies that think they deserve the world. Speaking of which, let's bring out Sky Blue. Your thoughts on the promo first. Great. Yeah. Genuinely fantastic. Let it play out stuff. Like, Jesus Christ, I don't know how many times I have to tell myself to do this because... I kind of I like the idea of this as a kernel of a good idea. It threatened to finally have these women's wrestlers in this roster interact in a way that could be meaningful, in a way that could be interesting, in a way that didn't just feel like right, okay, such and such versus such and such, and that's it. We'll maybe do something with Baker because she's a star, and everything else can just be what it is. And then it just the WWE thing. WWE thing and like oh my god fed bad it felt so much like JAS versus BCC and now with one promo which I thought the content and delivery was tremendous Mm. from Ruby Soho it finally feels tethered to more personal motivations it doesn't feel like you know in NXT when it was apparently great but it actually sucked (laughs) (laughs) when they had like their own flags behind them in the locker room and stuff like that it felt like they had the WWE flag and the uh, the freelancers, and then like the homegrowns at the AW flag, and it was all about the two companies. They've now given you specific, deep cut examples of why they are aggrieved, and the best thing is, it's that they it's the heel thing, the classic heel thing. They're justified in their own minds, even if the objective reality is well, Ruby Soho kind of flattered to deceive with their in-ring performances. That's why they gravitated, the fans gravitated towards Statlander, Tony Storm. Got the short thrift, quite frankly. Soraya came in with an entitled superstar attitude. But they've 
tweaked these motivations to make sense in their own heads, and now I can finally see them as three-dimensional human beings in a fictionalized story. This was great stuff. Loved it. This was the first ever each and every one of you promo where the wrestler kept the receipt. Like, how many times does a heel turn? And it's like, remember Becky Lynch's false one after the Charlotte Flair thing? Uh, Each and every one of you, when everybody cheered you, every single week, we were all rooting for you, and that to just abandon it. That was like the most obvious example of the bollocks, but they do it all the time. Here, she had the evidence. Like, oh, right, here we go. You're kind of rolling your eyes. Oh, it's all you fans. Oh, hang on. Here's three examples. She's right. Yeah. Like, so once she's, like, and the rest of the promo was kind of, as Cedric points out, her believing her own BS. But because she's been, like, vindicated in the first bit, you're like, oh, actually, she's speaking with some authority yeah. on this. And I, I said this on the review yesterday of Revolution. I did believe that it was her in the moment. And they even, like, solidified that by her saying that was a, it was a snap choice, but it was a snap choice founded by this idea that she just lost again and nobody cares because everybody's cheating Jamie Hayter, which is jealousy, which is an ugly trait, but she's framed that ugly trait as a very justifiable one. Like an inspired bit of fixing a program, I would Mm. say. And I think you felt that in the post-match of this as well. Yeah, perfect opponent, I thought, as well, in in Sky Blue, like, you know, personifying everything she's despising in the back. And so, uh, so her immediately takes her out to the floor and beats her Someone who loses all the time and doesn't really have an excuse and just goes out there again. Mm. Yeah, Nice touch. Um... Blue tries to fight back, but gets hit with that back heel trip. Um, when we come back, Blue does hit on a high cross off the top uh, for a near fall, but then Soho avoids the code blue, pulls the hair, hits a destination unlo- unknown, one, two, three. Uh, post-match, here comes uh, Soraya and Tony Storm, and they all go to spray paint, but they do uh, spray paint blue green. Um, but here comes Willow Nightingale. I wish, wish someone would have called that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Who comes down as like, you know, friends. There's been a, a history there. She tries to talk sense to her. I did like the way that Tony Storm and Sarah were like, whoa, 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 back out, slide out of the ring. And you just watch them walk around and then go, right, she can't see us now. Jump in and <laughs> attack her from behind. They do that. Soho hits her with the no future. Uh, and then, yeah, everyone gets spray painted. Willow's acting was genuinely really good. Yeah. Genuinely really good. She wasn't hamming it up. She was just trying to appeal to Ruby Soho's better nature, and she just looked really likable somehow yet again because she's amazing uh, in the process. This is, again, not JAS stuff because personal issues draw money, as we are seeing a lot at the moment, and we knew there was a relationship between Willow and Ruby that has now fallen apart because Ruby Soho's made a choice. These teams are going to come together, to Cedric's example, not waving flags the heels are going to be bitter, and yeah. the emotion is what's going to sell the rivalry. And yes, the baby faces will be defending like the honour of AEW, but it will instead become about needing to avenge the bitterness of the, the heels. Mm. It's a different it's program a different, through these emotions. Much better program, and you know what? It was the plan all along. And we should let it play out. Yeah. <laughs> Dick, in the words of Dr. Prepega, she's described the people who are not willing to stay the course on this one as microwave babies. That's good. It's so good. I'm a microwave baby sometimes when it comes to AEW. And I'll admit that. Uh, before we move on, though, of course. It's time to play the game! Time to play the game! Ha You know, pop at WrestleMania 37. <laughs> so weird. Um, I banged my elbow there. But uh, don't worry, I'm fine. And Sige, don't you worry either. You can put your feet up because I'm going to press this button right here. Sige, what's the name of the game? But before that, what's the aim of the game? Before we get to the name of the game, <laughs> let's go to the aim of the game. And the aim of the game 
is to identify to the exact hour, minute, and second when you will hear the first note of the first entrance theme of the first woman to emerge for the only token obligatory afterthought of a woman's match on Dynamite to really shine a harsh, glaring light on the fact that it is an afterthought. It is a token obligation. It is something that they don't care about. It is something that they should care way more about. Mm. It's been nearly four years, and I'm sick of it. Sick of this jingle. Sick of it all. Do better storytelling by your women. The lack of representation is piss poor. And if we can get it to the hour, minute, and second, exactly, it will really, really shine a light on just how pathetic, quite frankly, all of this is. And there's a rhyme (laughs) that you can remember that is increasingly becoming irrelevant (laughs) about when you can expect this segment to go. And, you know, don't worry, guys. When the women come out to play, the main event ain't too far away. Except it always is now because they've changed it. But there's still only one match, and we will still play the game. Yes. What's the name of the game? And now, live, what is the name of the game? Well, let's just let us nail thinking over the nader. 50 million listens. <laughs> um, I got a bit of a flashback to my radio days there. Anytime he paused, it's a bit like when, when I used to be on the radio and songs would have like a <coughs> pause in it and they'd be like, oh, bollocks, he's finished. I need to talk or do something. What do I have to press? But yeah, there you go. We've got it on tape now. You can obviously that uh, anyone will shorten it. <laughs> okay. Shorten it live, but keep Okay, we'll next. get a clean one on the preview next week. Or something. I'm going to shorten that. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus wet. Right, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I forgot what we do now. Just, I've got me all I've got me all over the place. Sige, uh, you have uh, written down the times. Shout out to uh, Jose Palomares, who stepped up to the plate in the absence of Adam Blair, who's back now. Adam Blair at Adam Wilson for who takes care of all the um, data. Thank you for this, um, Sige. What in this is the next job? Ascending or descending order? Descending order. What times do we go for here? Michael Hamflet had one hour, five minutes, and ten seconds. Myself, Michael Sidgwick, <laughs> if I'm a WWE wrestler, one hour, 22 minutes, and 51 seconds. Adam Wilborn, one hour, 24 minutes, and 52 seconds. Are these motherfuckers decided to just change it all up. Just uh, That'll show them they don't win the game. Yeah, yeah what a dub that is. Yeah, what a dub. <laughs> Not really that close here. Uh, Adam has taken it from Sky Blue's entrance because it was sort of a promo prior to that, which uh-huh. makes sense. But we're still miles <laughs> off, 34 minutes and 30 seconds. But another win for Michael Hamflet. Who's <laughs> they're thinking like, oh, this will really embarrass them, dickheads in England. And then they still just put on one match. Yeah, no, no. He's a real loser. You, had still Car- you. you could do the Jay Cargill thing that they do later after a squash. Yeah, 54 and 0. Have you got any challengers? I just beat someone. I don't have any challengers. Well, we'll talk about her future opponent because I got very intrigued by what was said a little bit later on. Uh, Hamlet's got five correct answers. Sidge has got three. And uh, that's about it in terms of the stats uh, (laughs) for this one. Uh, Thank you to Adam Blair at Adam Wilterfall and Jose Palomares at TheHo11 on Twitter uh, if you want to follow both of those guys. Uh, Renee Paquette earning her money tonight. She's backstage with Hangman Adam Page. Ask him how he's doing. A bit of an awkward conversation, of course, this. Uh, and Paige says, oh, physically, I've been a bit better. And he certainly has looked a bit better than he did here. Uh, but he uh, he let his heart black in on Sunday because he had to. Um, 
If you want to, oh boy. Pu- if you want to push him, <laughs> he'll take you to hell and ride back out, or leave you in the desert with a bike or something. Um, Shut up, man! It was a cool line. Sorry, yeah. Ruin it. What's what's your major malfunction with Hangman Page? That's dry, Moxley, but I don't sleep. It's too bloody good for you. Don't comprehend his brilliance. <laughs> He's giving Adams a bad name. <laughs> He's one of the best wrestlers alive. Honestly, if you stack up his body of work, I've been debating this internally. I think he might be one of the best wrestlers of all time. Cool. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I just think he's all right. Renee says, hang this on, hang on Adam Wilborn. <laughs> does this mean you and Mox are finally done? And he's like, yeah, sorry about what you had to witness on Sunday. Don't blame me, though. Blame your other half. Um, but after Sunday, he's finished with Moxley. Of course, he wasn't like. I don't want to talk about him on page with you two anymore. I feel like you don't respect, uh, respect him enough. This was a brilliant promo. Yeah, because he's f***ing great. That's <laughs> he's f***ing exceptional at his f***ing job. I think he's back. Like, genuinely, I said this on the Revolution video, I think he's back. It took ages. Like, he was... Did it? Yeah, that title reign was... Eh. Like, it, like, it was for different reasons. CM Punk ruined a lot of it. Because of something Hangman Page said. Uh, because of something CM Punk did. Yeah, because he's best. It, like, let's not get into this now. Why not? I'm boring you. I've just got a lot to get through. That. Oh, why didn't you shut up then before the podcast? My my standards towards CM Punk are like Wilborn's threat towards reading double. <laughs> but, uh, no, this was really good from Page, yeah. and even better later on. I love I love in AEW how wrestlers believably say they are done. Ricky Starks was done. Hangman Page was done, and then obviously was undone. Brian and MJF, incredible, done. Pay-per-views matter. Like, oh, is it undone? Let's see. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a video of MJF backstage following uh, his title retention at AW Revolution. Uh, anyone who thought Brian Danielson was on his level should get their brain checked. Uh, he does the line again about having a horn come out of his forehead after the hematoma. Is that what we're calling it? I never know what that those bumps on their heads are called. But it's a proper sweller. Um, Bloody horrible, anyway. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, not in your heed. Um, Tommy Dreamer got one off that kendo stick. Or was it Chris Jericho got one off Tommy Dreamer in that rumble? Oh, I right between the eyes. Uh, his back's no longer against the wall. Daddy is single in San Francisco, uh, and look at that. March fifteenth is his birthday. Obviously, I already knew that. Um, he's going <laughs> to stroll into Win- Winnipeg and have a party. His reign of terror has just begun. Great stuff. Can't wait for next week, but we'll try and keep the preview to. Next week? Yeah. That's when it is. <laughs> Danny Schiavone introduces FTR, who gets a, a great reaction here. Um, I love Cash Wheeler. I love loud crowds. So it's nice to get one for like a minute and a half. Uh, yeah, Cash said, it's great to be back. Talks about... Have you watched WWE and love it so much then? Right now, Bloodline. And? Uh, the f***ing Judgment Day. Oh, and then sometimes there's half decent oh, it's like stories. Piper, it's like Piper and Portland on the Judgment Day commute. Yeah, sometimes there's some half decent stories. And you say you put not many at the moment. <laughs> right, uh, Cash Reader says, great to be back. Last few months have been really rough. They talk about losing it's all like, their... Like wild crowds and hot crowds. It's just weird. Go on. Talks about losing all their titles, but ultimately, of course, losing a close friend in the late great uh, Jay Briscoe. Um, Wheeler brings up the guns, calls them the future of this division, but they are also entitled arseholes. Assholes, actually. Um... Talks about, you know, dad, the dad gave him everything, but should have taught him better. Um, uh, I don't know why I said to Jim Ross there. Also, which one's which? Make your mind up. Dad gave you everything. He gave you nothing. <laughs> which is it? 
give them the wrong things. In the wrong things. So are they, like, they putting a Billy Gun over or not? That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, Cash's dad couldn't give him a private education, a job with the best company, but he taught him how to fight and be respectful. Uh, and that's that answers what answers your question, Pamphlet. That's what he's going to teach them. Uh, so Billy Gunn is a loser dad, then. That's what FTR were fundamentally getting at. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dax talks about his wife and his daughter, but he wants to talk about someone else he cares about, and that's each and every one of you. Uh, at a time he felt incapable of love. Uh, they never left. Wrestling never left. This, is, this ain't no raw, raw babyface speech, he yeah, says. It kind of was. It was, Dax. Uh, but he loves us. Um, he said, in December, we closed the trilogy, uh, closed the book on the greatest trilogy of matches they've ever had. And even though they didn't win, they knew they did something special. And that feeling was taken away by the guns. The last memory he has with one of his best friends was taken away by them. Now it's time to get even. Um, it would be easy to just fight and beat the guns. Uh, but they have to him where it hurts. They're going to beat him and take the titles. They're going to do it for them, for the Briscoes, for all of us. They feel like an absolutely white-hot, enormous act. Cash Wheeler just comes off as the best guy in the goddamn <laughs> world. Dax Howard makes you forget that he's the opposite of that on Twitter. <laughs> Mark for himself, baby. Passive-aggressive. Remember when the, the culture war between the CM Punk and Elite Camps was all the... Are the elite are just passive aggressive babies? It's Dax Harwood then. Yeah, all these men are all the same. Yeah, maybe the exception of Cash Wheeler, aren't they? Yes, maybe. exactly. Yes, like absolutely. Um, no, this was absolutely great. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Get the guns match over and done with. It's a formality that we want to see happen. It's the perfect pro wrestling thing. They are telling you something's going to happen. They are going to deliver it. And you want that thing to happen. I will not, I will think that less in the event that in the run up to double or nothing, they do heat angle after heat angle after heat angle. Nah, nah, nah. Guns, transitional champions, your purpose has been served. Uh, you were manufactured for a purpose. Into the red room you go. Guns went on TV, uh, FTR went on TV, and then we get something big and proper. Double or nothing. Yeah, felt like the tag division was saved in one promo. Um, everybody, every single person watching this, including the FTR and including the guns, knew that FTR are going to beat the guns. And that was really, really satisfying. I hope it's as early as Winnipeg. Like Every episode of AW television where FTR aren't beating the guns is wasting time. And the detail about how the guns took away their, what, to, what would have been their last shared moment with mm. Jay Briscoe was genuinely quite an impressive reason for them, not just to want to kick their ass for being like a disgrace to the tag belts, but for something more as well. Get to the match right, right now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. 
BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Then Renee Paquette is backstage with Jay Cargill and Layla Gray. Uh, and Jay, yes, says, I've got no challenges. I'm, what is it, 53 and 0, I think it is. Uh, I've run through every woman here. Um, but next week they're going to be in Canada. You're from Canada, aren't you, Renee? How about we bring out the best Canada has, um, seeing as I'm so big on charity, uh, let's have, let one of those whack-ass Canadians step up and get stepped on. Is Renee Paquette going to fight Jay Cargill? Uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know that Simpsons gag where they always used to have a dig at Fox because fundamentally the writers just didn't like the values of the network and all the rest of it. And in one of the many digs they had at the expense of Fox, um, I think Marge says, you know, Fox turned into a hardcore pornography channel so gradually that I didn't even notice or something to that <laughs> yeah. effect. AEW has turned into a WWE adjacent, this company sucks promotion <laughs> so gradually that I've barely noticed. There are so many different examples. Dax doing it on Twitter for some stupid reason. Eddie Kingston, his entire character arc is that. And they're both baby faces. Kind of bad enough on the heels to it. Jade Cargill saying, oh, there's no competition for months is basically her saying, oh, AEW haven't built up enough credible challenges for me because it's a fundamentally bad wrestling promotion that can't identify and promote talent. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Stop it. I, it's not, um, I'm not as high on this. Like, Whack-ass Canadians is quite funny but I'm not really as high on this because it's like Chris Statland's from space, not Canada, so it's not her. And that's blatantly what they've been saving this for. So next She's week, from Long Island in, a, in reality. Also not Canada. Yes. Like, <laughs> next week a Canadian arrives, gets a pop and loses. Why should I care? Jade Cargill doesn't care. It just so happens that she's beating up a Canadian. If it was this week, she'd be somebody from Sacramento. I wouldn't care either. If she was like... She's going to lose, is she? If the matches were predictable... Because it's a streak, and because Statland is not back yet. If she was like loving life, just killing these jobbers in really entertaining ways, you'd have a bit of ghoulish fun with that. Oh, one of them's going to get dropped on their heads, or one of them's just going to get like jaded onto a chair. If she enjoyed it, I would quite be into it, but she's just like bored. It's a formality, the bad kind of a formality. Mm. Waste of bloody time. Uh, speaking of whack-ass Canadians, Chris Jericho uh, was out, <laughs> out with Daniel Garcia and Simon Guevara and all the JAS, basically, to take on top flights next. Oh, boy. Um, AR, AR Fox and uh, the Martins uh, start fast. Fox uh, uses his speed to send Jericho into the corner. Um, it's a bit where a huge top rope clearing dive by Fox, and I did like Jericho scurrying over to Sammy Guevara to bring him in. He comes in and grounds AR Fox, uh, and the JS hit a group photo pose at one point. 
for the crowd. Um, Garcia comes in, top flight, makes some quick tags, moonsault onto the floor. Uh, there was a distraction by Coolhand Ange, uh, and Garcia manages to wipe out Dante Martin with a right hand in midair, uh, and they target and isolate Dante throughout the break. When we come back... Um, Monkey flip for Guevara. That allows AR Fox to, to get the hot tag and come in and run wild. Uh, Cutters for everyone, basically. One on Garcia. Two for one on Guevara and Jericho. Then a double springboard cutter uh, connected on Guevara and Garcia. Um, and uh, Darius hits a gut-wrenched German suplex, which I thought looked good. Jericho runs into a one-man Spanish fly. Um, and uh, after a Dante dive onto Garcia... Fox hits an implosion sent on to take out Guevara and Cool Hand Ange. Uh, Dante counters the walls of Jericho, but uh, there's a distraction and Hager clocks him with the bat. Jericho hits the Judas effect to win the match. Got an experiment here, right? Hamflip. Yeah, I don't like where this is going. What, do I trust us? What the f is your problem? The pair of you? Not here. Go on. Right, after three. Three, two, one, then say it right. Uh -huh. I want to know if you had the exact same opinion as me watching this match. There was a big problem I had with it, okay? Okay. That had nothing to do with the wrestling or the people who were in it but shouldn't have had as much TV time, okay? Okay. There's a problem with it. Can you think of anything that you had a problem with? Loads, but I'll try and narrow it down to one. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. Daniel Garcia's trousers didn't match the rest of the groups. <laughs> I knew it was a tire. Yeah. It was a tire. Yeah. They both wore black and gold. Aye. With heavy on the black, a little bit of a gold trim. Poor do that. What you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you doing there? So I wasn't happy with that. I was like, ugh, blurry. Do you think AR Fox and Top Flight probably didn't think, oh, should we pack for a fight in the JAS? Nah, why on earth would we be fighting the JAS? I thought this was so mid. The most mid oh top fight in our Fox match ever, which is such an indictment on the JS. And kind of impossibly mid. Yeah. <laughs> to go back yeah, actually. To, the, to go back <laughs> to the other point, Jericho lost. Gets like in kayfabe, gets rewarded with a payday, and that's before we get to the title shot he's about to get. Sammy Guevara broke the one stipulation that match on Sunday had, also gets rewarded with a payday. Framework is dissolved and stuff should matter, and it doesn't, and that's another reason why this match doesn't matter. This time last year, as they reminded us in this promo. The JAS formed. Twitter has reminded me today that Jeff Hardy did that really funny dancing running, but he ran in nonetheless. He debuted nonetheless. <laughs> Jeff Brent. <laughs> there might have been more. I can't remember. There was at least those two. <laughs> so when Daddy Magic said that, and then Twitter told me about Jeff Hardy, I was reminded that it was 12 months ago that like these quite monumental things occurred. And there was now on this show that stood up to compare against either of them. Was uh, this was just there. Eh? A few high spots for which I felt nothing. And I like it as an elite mark, self-confessed, when you just see a match that the Young Bucks and, and or Kenny Omega have done compared to what other people do with the exact same opponent. Like, Jesus Christ. Frightening. They are <laughs> so good. They are so un. Unbelievably goddamn good. Uh, so post-match, Cool and Ange gets on the mic and calls it the biggest trios win in AEW history. Light the beam! Uh, Is that something location-specific because so. the crowd were into it? I'm I think a Googler. Yeah. Good line for a heel. Uh, Daddy Magic <laughs> says... Your local sports team stuff. 
Danny Magic says this is one year anniversary of the JS. Uh, Garcia calls themselves the number one contenders for the trios championships. Uh, and Guerrero's like, and we're all sexy. And then Hager says, oh, I've got a sexy hat. <laughs> <sighs> um, Jericho calls out the House of Black, uh, and he's vicious. He's like, House of Black, you've got a great entrance, <laughs> but I want to fight you. What was that about? It was that just was- his, Hamlet's got the take. Patronizing bollocks from Chris Jericho, trying to fool people that he is helping others. Like, he knows that people are saying all the things that they say about him. And the reason I say them is because most of them are true. Um, and then every now and then he does this thing, especially in a week where a lot of people have identified correctly that John Cena is just ethered a guy. He's like, uh, see how different I am? I'm kind of the last guy to put <laughs> other people over. Cena changed all that. Um, and he thinks he can get one past everybody, and I don't think people are buying it. So apparently, in Light the Beam refers to a chant and rallying call in support of the National Basketball Association's Sacramento <laughs> Kings. Referring to the Kings lighting a purple beam of light from their arena following a win, the phrase originated early during the 2022-2023 season. So apparently when they're doing well, light the beam, light the beam, light the beam. Maybe Maybe he was like invoking a purple beam of light because he was wanting to be more like an overstable. What stable would that be? The ones on the other side. Yeah. No, no, yeah, you know the guy. Um, I swear for him. He's got enough on his plate. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they're waiting for the House of Black, but instead the elites interrupt. He's in the office all day. He's done bad use of his time. <laughs> uh, and it's Kenny in the Young Bucks. Yes, top of the ramp. Uh, and Kenny gets on the mic, says, Hello, Jericho. Um, for the better part of three years, <laughs> I've stayed up. Kenny Omega from Leeds. <laughs> The best part of three years, I've, we've stayed out of each other's lanes. We haven't really gotten involved. Uh, he thinks it comes out of a place of mutual respect. But when Jericho talks about the trios, in comes Don Carlos. Yeah, yeah, sure, Kenny. Um, <laughs> but he says, look, we all know it's the elite that established the trios championships. Uh, after Revolution, it's obvious we're, they are the number one contenders, not the JAS. Uh, on a personal note, we've been friends for over 30 years. Uh, and I agree, Jericho, you're one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time. Wait a second, sorry. Sage, I'm going to get that. There we go. Yeah, you press it when I... It's going to be... Uh, it agrees Jericho was one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time, but he's only the second best wrestler from Winnipeg. And I mean... <laughs> folks, where's the lie? And I think he said, if I'd had a bit of time to train, you'd be the third best <laughs> yes, Absolutely piss-funny line, that. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jericho tells Stunk Alice to get his wormy ass down here and bring his stupid friends. Uh, the lights go out again, and... Uh, the house is black here on the screen with their championships. They had done a pre-recorded video message after the tone. Beep. Uh, oh, God damn it. Malachi's there. <laughs> Says there is no need to fight. <laughs> You're both equally deserving of an ass-kicking in your hometown. He actually said something quite cool. Next week, if you want their titles. Or, like, co- like you know, that's what I'm looking for. Coherent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next week. <laughs> Next week, if you want the titles, lights up. They're in the, on the ramp. Come get them. And the lights go out again, and when they come back, the House of Black is gone. I say this all of the goddamn time. There is a good and bad version of literally everything. This was genuinely, to me, a really good version of a promo train with some supernatural adjacent bollocks that if you think about it for too long, it will drive a pedantic soul like myself quite insane. <laughs> uh, no, I just thought this was really hot. This is really uh, funny. Um, 
I will say, and I don't want to step on our own dicks when we do the preview next week, but this is pretty low on my wish list for Kenny Omega working in Manitoba, Winnipeg. I will tell you that. The very best ma- version of this match could be given the arena, the um, place where it's happening, and the nine men involved and the genre. Put those things together. It could be one of the loudest and most exciting TV matches ever. Mm. The very best version of this match. I worry deeply about these commercial breaks. Yeah, it's because it'll open, won't it? But we're not in the era now of the long stretch without I don't a, think it'll open. open. You don't? You think it'll main event? I think, I think it'll main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like and dislike this match. For like the reasons we've kind of already discussed and probably will more so on the preview. It's It was a way to go and loads of people wanted it. Loads of people were suggesting yeah. Kenny and Jericho in the same orbit. And I'll be honest, right, I got a little bit excited when Kenny and Jericho were having interplay because yeah. it was like, oh man, yeah, he, he's telling the truth there. There's a bit of... Good old days, early AEW. Oh, they're going to come back together. So I, I sensed the magic, but it just wouldn't have been my choice for Winnipeg either. Um, we'll talk about more on the preview, as you say. Um, Very ambitious. A lot of traffic. A lot of traffic. <laughs> <laughs> um, we go backstage to Tony Khan, who says, I'm here tonight because the all league champion Orange Cassidy has requested an open challenge match next week in Winnipeg against Trouble Change Jeff Jarrett. I'm honoring that request next week in Winnipeg. It's going to be Orange Cassidy versus Jeff Jarrett. <sighs> this match re- represents an open mark of rock opening. I'd like to tell you all about it tonight about me. W Warner Bros. Discovery. Next, <laughs> next week marks the fifth and final defense of the All-Land Championship on international soil. <laughs> it's the only AEW championship to ever change hands on international soil. And next week, in partnership with the Warner Bros. Discovery, I'm the first one who releases Shazam for the guards. Next week in Winnipeg, Orange Cassidy versus Jumble J. Jeff Jarrett. We had to... I, for the AEW International Championship next week in Winnipeg. We'll level up the champions. <laughs> Keith Lee. Good Keith Lee there, Winnipeg. <laughs> I think Stacks popped in. I know. 30 seconds ago. Oh, God. I thought I was going to black out there at one point. Oh, God. Um, we'll talk more about this on today's Get the Table, which is going to be recorded a little bit later on today. Yeah, I'm not saying a word about this. Yeah. Hmm. I, was, I was really hoping you were going to say maybe one word so I could cut the bread. <laughs> no, no, just keep talking. Uh, Brian Danielson. Following the uh, the Iron Man match is shown backstage, and he is absolutely devoured. Um, it's, it's, it's all sorry. This is an amazing promo. It's a whole time. Kenny from Leeds, <laughs> the dragon from up here. Yeah, it's me, Brian. I'll get your f-ing head in. <laughs> you little. Gun, <laughs> Connie William, you're off. See how to fall. We can get your mood out of his horse. <laughs> he did a laugh, Sitch. I really like that. Oh. <laughs> One of us is the absolute best, and it's not f-ing you. Right, so, Danielson says, this whole time, my whole career, it's all been uh, about never giving up. Um, that's what I thought was best, just fight and fight and fight and fight. Um and when I woke up from being knocked out, my first instinct was to fight. And then I realized I couldn't feel my arms. My left leg had no strength. And then, you know, MJF said after the match, I'd been able to play with my kids. And it suddenly dawned on me. He's right. I was putting myself before my family. This has made me more ashamed than anything else. It's time for me to go home. Oh, my God. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> Come back. This is heart-wrenching. My, uh, 
The thing about Danielson and AEW, right, is that for me it's been such an absolutely incredible thrill to watch one of my favorite all-time wrestlers, widely considered the very best, just be Danielson, the mm. sadistic American dragon, the technical virtuoso. The entire run, realistically, has kind of been lacking in this sort of heart. He came in, he just wanted to be American Dragon again. He came in, challenged Omegas, I don't think the Rankins, I'm American Dragon. And everyone was like, yeah, you don't need the Rankins, you're the American <laughs> Dragon. And then um, he kind of you know, stepped up because Mox had to go away. And he's like, well, I'll be a heel, and I'll absolutely love this. And he had the mat, uh, series with Daniels, uh, with Paige. And then... There was that weird BCCJAS where it's like, you're playing babyface, but I don't believe you. still think you're absolutely great, but I don't necessarily believe anything you're selling is because you like the Fed. You said that you loved Vince McMahon in your outgoing Players Tribune article. Uh, we've never really had that emotion, that heart. And oh my God, we've got it, and it's breaking mine. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it went 67 minutes, and I want to see it again. MJF Danielson, I think they're going to have to do it again after this. I thought absolutely fantastic there was so much that this put over so this put over obviously just on its own terms how amazing and how difficult the iron man matches if you ever get something like that again this is what it does to people's bodies and minds which in stark contrast to mjf celebratory celebrator promo in the show is funny quite honestly gallows humor but funny nonetheless in the meantime like brian basically having his entire method of thinking rattled by this is incredible him genuinely believing that in order to make his kids proud he had to fight for his dreams and come back and now, all of a sudden, that faith has been completely shaken. And in fact, it's not wrestling, is what his, his kids need to see. And it's all because of this match. There is a man that gets in the middle of that ring and sees the face of God. But now he's come face to face with the devil. And it's completely Ooh. changed everything. That puts over MJF so, so much in like almost as powerful a way as going six, seven minutes with him and yeah. beating him. Like that's as effective. And last but not least, again, despite the fact that too many people appeared on the show that probably didn't warrant the profile. Christ Almighty, this makes you remember that you've got to buy AEW pay-per-views. Yeah. Like, consequences. There has to be gravity to actions. this. Huge, this. Unbelievable stuff, this. If they're not building to MJF Danielson 2, which I believe they are on the back of this, I think they must have realized that, given the buys or whatever, that was much bigger than people thought and thought, well, we have to do it again. It's perfect as a vehicle to do the um, a good version of the Miz versus John Cena thing of 2009, was it? Oh, where he just builds up the record. Miz is like 6-0. and oh. Because Cena goes away for yeah. once, and he's like, all right, okay, now that he's not here, I can say I'm better than him. And then it comes, and it blows up in his face, and then John Cena eats him alive like a complete asshole. Someone could maybe do that with Danielson and like just do all of these things to just bury him and bury him and bury him, and then he get the ass kicking of a lifetime, and that's how he comes back. I'm fantasy booking directions for a story I want to see. This is the AEW that I've missed. He said the word home, and I thought there was three different things that could have meant. ROH. ROH, his actual home in the loving arms of his family, or back where he belongs in a title program with MJF, and he somehow made you want all three at the same mm. time. There's not a single one of those that you don't want to see him go home I don't want to see him go to ROH. Not particularly, it's too but big for this. The, like, the magic of, like, that one-off one -off moment, if, say, for example, Kingston beats Claudio, and he tries to win the title or something, I think there's, like, there's something in it. The, the, the the I cannot watch him lose an ROH title match at this stage. Mm. He's proven to me that he needs to be headlining more AEW pay-per-views, yeah. if anything. Uh, speaking of Claudio, he was up next alongside John Moxley against Dark Order, being represented, of course, by Alex Reynolds and John Silver. Um, I didn't get to see what was on Utah's back. I was intrigued. He had Mox, Swiss. Whinging bitch. 
money, money, sour-faced little twat. Like, which I can say this now because the heels. Yeah. Supposed to be that rather than like the last three months of thinking, oh, aren't you the good guy? Yeah. I think the last month was building to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mox and Claudio attack immediately. Um, Silver finally gets back into it, dropping Cas- uh, Castagnoli in the corner. Uh, Reynolds comes in, forearms and a dive to the floor on Moxley. Um, and uh, Moxley took his head off with a lariat to take us to a break. When we come back, Silver gets the hot tag. Um, German suplex, he blocks a kick, hits him with elbow strikes, but Moxley puts a triangle choke on him. Silver counters with a uh, cross face. Uh, and they try and hit the Dark Order uh, combo move, the double-team thing. But Moxie cut it off uh, and gets a rear naked choke on Alex Reynolds and transitions into the Darce choke to get the submission victory. But after the match, Moxie uh, refuses to let go, puts another rear naked choke on. Uh, Claudio gets rid of the referee and gut-wrenches Silver to the floor. Uh, there's a bulldog choke transition from uh, Moxie on Reynolds. That brings Evil Uno down to the ring. Uh, he attacks John, stomps, hits him, goes for a pile driver, but Utah gets a chop block in there. Here comes Hangman Adam Page. He runs down, tells John, leave him alone, basically. Stay back. Claudio taps him on his back, and Page turns around and lamps him. Uh, Claudio hits him with an uppercut. There's a big uh, Blackpool Combat Club attacking Hangman bit uh, until the referees have to come in and stop all of this. Uh, I'd love to say this was amazing because... An execution and concept it was, but it just played out to a pretty low crowd reaction. So this could have been a moment, should have been a moment. Inexplicably, it wasn't a moment, but I love the direction nonetheless. John Moxley, like, I thought he was an arsehole. I don't want to think that, but I did. And it's about time, I think. Mm. He has been in it as a baby face. They had this like, kind of indiscriminately violent tweener thing, and then he became everyone's hero during the pandemic. And he's been getting more and more and more violent, but in a way that he's just like your resident badass. Like he's, he hasn't been likely to tell you to call your grandma for like a year. So there has this has been coming, but I tell you one thing, right? Four years as a babyface in this in this era, what in at that level of which he was over, yeah. towering achievement. Maybe so towering that people just don't want to boo him particularly. Um, look, it wasn't a molten heat angle. There was definitely, oh, don't do that to John Silver. Particularly, they, I think they had the best sequence of this match by miles and miles and miles, which otherwise was just kind of there. Um, but yeah, again, I'm fascinated to see a heel John Moxley in AEW. And I've got 50% trust in the process. But that 50% is like all-encompassing. Um, or just absolutely massive. I know those things don't make any sense. The 50% I, of trust I have is very, very trustworthy. Um, Mox being a heel is going to be so much better than you ever thought possible, I think. Yeah, absolutely going to let it play out. But this is like one of the most undersold, massive moments in company history. Yeah. John, Moxley. John Moxley has been the money-drawing star babyface of this company. The soul of it. Yeah. After Since Inception. And he's I just rewatched that. Sorry, I rewatched that promo. Oh god! To research a list that you can read now, actually, on modernculture.com slash wwe ten greatest promos in modern wrestling history. Game winners want the ball, and I want that ball. Oh god, he was the heart and soul of this thing. I think to the point about when he was telling people to call their moms and all that, and he's just got gradually more violent. I feel like this was the turn here was because for the first time his violence didn't really have a cause. 
even when he's been getting angrier, there's been a cause because he's so good at attaching causes to it. What we were supposed to see here, and what we did see, but I just don't think it was portrayed all that well and the fans just didn't receive it as such, was a man grappling with rage and embarrassment. John Moxley is this complex figure who has opened himself up to all of us and we saw that in... Alex Reynolds got the very, very worst of it. It was subtext here, you're right, because yeah. he tried to... Did he see... The, did, did the show what his post-revolution promo on Dynamite last night, or have I just watched it? It was online, it wasn't on Dynamite, yeah. Because... Are you sure? I'm pretty sure, unless I um, like skimmed past on fast speed. But Either way, it was definitely on the control center thing that they put on YouTube. He said one thing, but meant another in this angle, because he was talking about how man pays, oh, great, you came to the edge and you beat us. Oh, you won your little match, well done. You finally joined me, but I'm here all the time. You won your little match. His actions at John Silver indicates that he did not believe himself. And imagine John Moxley not believing his words. It's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. As, it, as Hamlet says, it should have been this massive moment. Forcing the proper babyface, Hangman Page, to go back on the word he put out earlier on is another like really great device for this heel character. Bang into it, nobody was here, and the moment was kind of underwritten, perhaps. The match wasn't good enough, which probably didn't help. Like, maybe he needed a yeah. more of a fiery squash, possibly, the Dark... I don't know what it was. I, I, maybe it's the Dark Order themselves. Maybe, like, there was a certain... Oh, yeah, they're doing this because Paige is still hanging out with them as well. There's a few things working against it, but this will go great. It's Moxley. Uh, Rene Paquette's backstage with the acclaimed and uh, daddy ass and uh, ask him what's what's next for them. Uh, Bones like, tag team titles, we still want to get them back. Uh, but this brings in uh, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Ange who says, oh, we love rap music. Uh, we all know you're sports entertainers at heart. Why don't you come and join us in the JAS? And the acclaimed laugh them off and say, we're on TV more than you are. Piss off, basically. Acclaimed versus the sex gods at double nothing. Gets, I don't want for the title, but it's a lovely little thing for Jericho that he has to do on a pay-per-view. <laughs> Take that all day long. I've wanted it for ages. Yeah, happy with that. This was just a rampage build-up, wasn't it? If it goes nowhere beyond it, that's not bad. It's one of those things as well. Like They kind of are sports entertainers. Yeah. So uh, you can yeah. imagine them thinking JAS would actually... It's like when Andrade used to go around recruiting people. It's like, why would they join you? You're an absolute yeah. loser, Andrade. But JAS scouting the acclaimed is a rare, good and bad version of everything. There's a good version of a recruitment angle, and that's this. You know, the guns fighting over their dad with the acclaimed has less logic than Chris Jericho fighting over yeah, their dad. Yeah. He could be able to get in his face and be like, look, who's more of a sports entertainer, me or you, Mr. Ass? Like that. <laughs> I'm just concerned whether or not Max Caster's going to have enough material on Chris Jericho. <laughs> uh, main event time, TNT Championship match, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Wardlow, of course. He's got a few capital ideas. Probably compared notes, I Falls count anywhere. Uh, and the match starts by us cutting backstage and they're, they're brawling right by a car. I loved Hobbs uh, chucking a keg at Wardlow's head. It's ruled for like eight minutes. It ruled. Yeah, Hobbs suplexes Wardlow onto the hood of the car, tries a powerbomb, but Wardlow backdrops him through the windshield. Uh, they brawl all over the place. We go to a commercial. When we come back, they head into the ring, basically. Wardlow hits a spine buster. Hobbs pops right back up. Hits a spine buster of his own. Wardlow pops right back up. Uh, roundhouse lariat from Wardlow. F10. That gets a two count. Uh, Hobbs hits three spine busters in a row. He uh, gets a two count from that as well. Um, they go out to the floor. Really violent guardrail spot. Um, Hobbs sets up a table, but Wardlow chucks water at Hobbs uh, and hits a swanton off the top through the table. Looked great. Oh my god! Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, Wardlow hits a powerbomb on the ramp, but collapses in exhaustion a little bit after that. Gets back up to his feet, drags Hobbs up to the top of the ramp. Uh, he's going to powerbomb him off the stage. And then who should appear of all people but QT Marshall. He comes in and he nails Wardlow with no numerous chair shots. Uh, he's got his QTV shirt on, just to remind you. Um, and together, QT Marshall and uh, Powerhouse Hobbs brutally powerbomb off the stage onto a crash mat. Uh, and the referee does the <laughs> 10 count on Wardlow. He can't beat it. And Powerhouse Hobbs, the most important thing, Powerhouse Hobbs wins the TNT Championship match and stands tall to close the show. I wish I was more delighted for him. I really wish I was. I hated this vehemently. I'm going to try and keep this brief, but I want to hit everything because I had so many problems with this. Before, as they were walking up to the ramp, I had the tweet in my head because I was high on this and I wanted to get my take yeah. out. I just wanted to get my take out. If this match does not turn you into the Just Bleed guy from UFC, stop watching professional wrestling. And then I wanted to stop watching professional wrestling <laughs> 10 seconds after I just left that in the drafts because, oh my God, this was such a violent spectacle mm. of two massive blokes. Who, and Wardlow in this match, if nothing else, felt a bit like Wardlow again. He felt like that senton was just, just a glimpse of what he can do. Looked like an absolute superstar doing that, like a, a different, like an elevated hybrid athlete. Mm. The guy who can do it all, but you can do this. That old Wardlow was back momentarily. The backdrop onto the bloody windshield, it was gnarly. It was really light. It was a great idea. Hamlet's got a great take about where the belt should have been, and I'll tell you that in a minute. Then it made its way back to the arena, but it was so usual. Remember when the Elite and Death Triangle started there, Falls oh. Count Anywhere, backstage, and people were like, boo! This was so immediately like, oh my God, Hobbs through a windshield, gruesome <laughs> and violent and compelling that I don't think I heard a single boo. Then they went up the ramp, and I got my heart broken when I realized who it was because I, for a split second, thought, as Taz decided to hang up <laughs> the headset and realign with Hobbs, that I could vaguely justify, but even then, no. What I hate so much about this is that when I first saw the book of vignettes, I was like, he can't be a heel. And maybe I was just alone in that, but I'd, I'd, and I've used this exact phrase, uh, I admire the hell out of the guy. It's a baby face. He is absolutely... He survived life. He survived life. He survived a horrible kind of upbringing, the likes of which I could never comprehend. I'm so made up for him that he gets to live his dream, that he's worked so hard. It's physical transformation. Yeah. He works harder than I ever could. He grinds to use the popular wrestling nomenclature. And I never want to receive him as a heel. And at the very least, he was a monster heel who could handle his own business because he handled business that the average professional wrestler could never dream of doing in their entire lives and he gets held by QT Marshall. The, I think it's tone deaf, the idea that he needs help from QT Marshall after what he's been through and survived, it just, it's so fake. It's so fake. I'll tell you one thing, in the most warped way imaginable, I'll be kind of up for Wardlow versus QT purely because, but it's the wrong kind of heat. QT Marshall's scenery-chewing face 
trying to just get on television. And he can't because he formats the show backstage with Tony Khan. We know this. Let's just say it. He was like jumping all over Hobbs. I was like, I can't even see Powerhouse Hobbs <laughs> in face. Sorry, Wilborn. No, I honestly thought it was a bit unprofessional. It's one thing to say, oh, I can help get him over or whatever. But he was like jumping all over. I was like, get out. Stand behind him, bow or do something. Um, I hated that. Um, I'll tell you what else I hated as well, other than the crash map, was just the idea that Tony Khan is just pairing people. Like Ricky Starks and Action Andretti. You know you've lost that magic part of your Tony. You put the acclaim together. You put Jack Perry and Christian Cage together. You used to be a genius at this. You're not anymore. I'll let this play out, I guess, but I can't see it going well. Before I get to the crash map, I hate the idea that if you foreshadowed something, it justifies it. No, it doesn't. You can foreshadow what you like. If it results in this pairing or this development that just makes a damn squib of an ending for this big, great arc of a great wrestler who can go on and do great things, I don't care how much you foreshadowed it. If it was good foreshadowing that people were really interesting in, people wouldn't have forgot that weird, weird factory element to the Ricky Starks powerhouse Hobbs food. I'd completely forgotten about right. that. And if anybody else other than, I think, Drain Bamager on Twitter says that they're lying. They are absolutely lying. You can foreshadow what you like. The thing that you're foreshadowing has to be good. And it wasn't. The crash mat was, I'm sick of my intelligence being insulted by the stupid company when it comes to crash mats. Learn your lesson. Don't do them. Like, just do it through a table. You've already got like a chair shot of the head. That's probably enough to then just do a power bomb onto the stage or through a normal table. Don't do a crash mat. And that leads me to another problem I had with this is that I, it's just like, oh, I have to protect Wardlow in case the idiots start to not believe in him. Well, I'm not believing in the creative process, actually. And you should have the respect for my intelligence to realize where the heat is going to reside. And it's squarely on AEW for me. Do not insult my intelligence, but I'll just do a crappy crash mat and protect Wardlow. Like, I. I've been watching this company for four years. You know people like me have been watching this company for four years. Give us some respect. All of this was abysmal. The worst finish ever because at least the exploding barbed wire death match was a great idea that the production just failed. Mm. Blood and guts, not the best idea because um, the inner circle as baby faces should have realized that MGF was going to push Chris Jericho off. But, you know... Whatever. This was a terrible idea. Amateur hour Bush League execution. I was livid. I don't really feel anger when AEW lets me down anymore because, quite frankly, it has become a bit of a regular occurrence for about 12 months. I was livid with this because I like Powerhouse Hobbs so much. I, I mean, I don't have much to add on the, the various other problems with the match, but to Cedric's point there, and I think this is so important, a lot of the times we... Um, Acknowledge, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, that AEW knows its audience profile incredibly well, which is, say, millennial wrestling fans that, by and large, are disillusioned with WWE. They're getting new ones, obviously. They are growing in 18 to 34. They're growing. In 18 to 34. Right, so, like, the, you yeah. know, the, like, there is a, a section of the fan base, very plugged in, certainly, a large portion of the fan base uh, that are super plugged in, and you want, and, you know, we're including that, like, not to put us over, but, like, you want to first invest in the story and the characters... But then in the background of all of that, subconsciously invest in the process. Because if they've got you believing in the characters, that means the process is doing its job. So it's 
way more important to Sidge's point there about not trusting the booking than it is in something like WWE because that trust has long been eroded. That's why we've it's been for years. It's about liking the wrestlers you like more than it is anything else. Like to do this here and to make a lot of people feel just really let down by the way something played out does not put heat on uh, Hobbs. It puts a tiny bit on QT Marshall, but the wrong kind, the nepotism, the nepotism mm. kind. Not Would me. he ever have been selected for this role if he did not format the yeah. shows alongside Tony Khan? Not in one million years. Who is booing him other than, like, let's say, some children that love Wardlow? And they they matter, but apart from them, who is booing him because he cheated Wardlow out of a title? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. That's that's the problem with it being QT Marshall specifically. You could have different arguments about different managers if it turned out that Hobbs was going to join the firm, for example, mm. and it was Stokely. Not great, because he shouldn't be a heel, but like there's a manager that is a character that's trying to build his stable, whatever, Smart Mark Sterling. These are kind of loser characters at this point, but they're trying to build their ranks. But he's the worst case for this, because it makes you think more of the processes than the, the fiction. Um, the crash mat stuff is... It's unforgivable by now. I I couldn't praise the coffin enough because it was so nice to see them get one not just right, but like get one beyond what WWE's done with coffins. Like, and they're the sports entertainment production company. This was like a real nightmarish experience. And because I've got nothing else to add on the match, it was just me and Sidge were talking about this in the office. I enjoyed the not as much as Sidge, but I did enjoy the brawl. But the the fact I still don't know what's real and what's fake about this car breaking is really boiling my piss. Because I don't know how sympathetic to feel for Wardlow. Because either it's really happened, it's terrible, and there's a bunch of really cool ways they've folded it into the fiction. But if you fold it into the fiction, fold it all the way in. There's a TNT title on the stage, right? And QT Marshall's got his hands on it. Uh, a, have him appear with it in his hand, cackling away, and it's like, you bastard, you robbed his car. You absolute prick, and this was all a setup. You and Hobbs have had this plan, rattling when he's like 24 hours before. Or they put... Powerhouse Hobbs car there. Do that for a reason. The Sonic ring falls out early doors, right? What if the boot pops open and there's Wardlow's bag in the belt and there's the reveal? Like, and AW used to do stuff like that all yeah. the time. There was Easter eggs, but there was out front clues. There was all sorts of things like that. I still don't know if this is real. Like, you got <laughs> QT Marshall going on Twitter doing that. Hmm, like, who? I wonder who did that to his car. I'm still wondering too, mate, what's going on here? Like, you could have made that perfect fiction even if it was awful grim reality and you did neither somehow and it, like it's depressing to think of like not being able to just like celebrate Hobbs as a champion yeah. and that be the end of it and that's the booking and we haven't touched on the fact that Wardle's finished like Wardle's in real trouble he's in real like, trouble like the, the heel turn is that sort of thing you do where like right what can we do to salvage him like what if if it's MJF at this point let's say and I think that's the play you've got to go right back to the top and the most heartbreaking of turns what if MJF's thinking ah don't know, like not not right now. That like this booking has put him in an incredibly difficult position. There's a a, re- a member of the wrestling media who I do not disagree, who, who I do not agree with very very often. I'm not going to name him. Who was like, I don't get this Wardlow thing. Just don't get it. And I think a lot of people have that opinion as well. QT Marshall quote tweeted him saying, "You wouldn't because you have no understanding of the how the inner workings of the wrestling business actually work." Right, okay. Neither did Tony Khan in twenty eighteen. Like don't say that <laughs> yeah, to the rest, yeah. like, to the media and fans. Even if they have this really cool plan and it comes off and Wardlow gets hot again later this year or within months. Within weeks if this happens and they can turn around and go, see, the last eight months of his career was still pretty horrendous. 
So why would you have eight horrendous ones to get to uh, this idea? Triple H booking that. Exactly. Excalibur. Like, we all must have heard this. Excalibur trying to remind us all about this supposed I owe you one deal got that the two of them made. Is. But he no couldn't go. But he was trying to call a match as well. So he could only be like, remember uh, when Keith Marshall said that he owed? No. Uh, Hobbs won. This must be no. the one. And we're all going, no, we don't. And anyway, you've moved on now because they're about to powerbomb him. And then Keaty Marshall tweeted, again, audiences, they know their audiences are on Twitter just as much as they're watching on TBS. Uh, Keaty Marshall tweeted a screenshot of a text message in 2020 where him, the authority figure within AEW, is texting Hobbs saying, we'd love you to come to, can you get to dailies? We'd love to have you work. Like said, talk about long-term storytelling. Like, what's real and what's fake? You're in a position to do this because we know you're a backstage guy. Piss poor. So they're like, oh, the QTV stuff. What? Yeah. I got his little QTV polo on. Get a, getting that on uh, Pro Wrestling Tees today. <laughs> He's the heel, but not even the character. Like, it's not the character. It's not there. We're not raging with, like, former factory boss QT Marshall. It's just... I'll grant you a wish. Oh, I want Powerhouse Hobbs to be TNT champion. Not like this. If we had time, we could just reel off name upon name upon name upon name that AEW has access to talent-wise who weren't on the show and would have done a much better job than him. And also, you should remember... I like he's so good at bumping. He's so good at playing a jackass. That's what he is. He's a jackass. Like he's a, that's what his character is. They've tried this with him before, and it has not worked. Is it a meritocracy of someone who just demonstrably doesn't get over as anybody other than the jackass character? Why has he got another shot at a main event angle? And we know the answer. Sorry, Wilborn, what oh, were you saying? Just remind me, when you were talking earlier and like, oh, well, maybe it'll be good when Wardlow gets his hands on him. What, just like when Hook's just about to get his hands on Stokely? I thought that was booked after he beat Hardy. They're just doing the same. They're doing the problem yeah. they had before. Just like, that's a good storyline. Let's do it twice. Well, no, because then you water down both. Yeah, three times. But it's piss funny when... Uh, Mark Briscoe banters off Mark Stone. I, yeah, yes. I don't like that one. <laughs> but also, like, I like the bit on this show where I don't know what happened production wise. It was not nearly that important, but I did like the way Taz handled it. Where I don't know what happened, but his his mic went through the stage because <laughs> yeah. he said hello, everybody. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, um, let us know your thoughts on uh, on this. This dynamite and specifically this ending uh, in particular on Twitter at What Culture WWE. Watch there, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick Freak, at Freakazoids. Don't bother at M Sidgwick. <laughs> follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> get lost, Freakazoids. <laughs> Uh, wherever you get your podcast from, Daily Wrestling Podcast, myself and Dali's uh, back a little bit later on today to talk about the AEW International Championship and what needs to happen with it. And if you haven't done so already, uh, also check out Michael Hamlet's ups and downs for this week's episode of AW Dynamite at whatculture.com. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.